0: a song, wasn't it? It was, uh, I Just Can't Get No Satisfaction. Man has an innate desire for satisfaction, don't we? To have our cravings filled, our desires satisfied, our goals met. Uh, We crave uh, satisfaction. But even that song says that I just can't find it. When I'm driving my car, man comes on the radio telling me more and more about useless information, supposed to fire my imagination. You can do this. You can be that. You can have this. All of the things that we hear over and over again, and he says, I can't get no, 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 no. I can't get no satisfaction. When I'm watching my TV and a man comes on and tells me how white my shirt can be, what you can have in life, the things that you can have, the moving up the ladder of mobility. I just can't get no satisfaction. When I'm riding around the world, I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and I'm signing this, and I'm signing that. I just can't get no satisfaction. The question that comes to our attention today in the Beatitudes is where do we look for our satisfaction. Do we look for our satisfaction in entertainment? And perhaps we look for satisfaction in in our jobs, our careers, uh, the money we're able to accumulate. Perhaps we even look for satisfaction in our in our families, some good things in our in our kids or in our our parents. Or perhaps we look for satisfaction in in sports. Um, you know, wanting to be. Uh, the best shortstop on the team, or perhaps we look for it in drugs, and perhaps we look for it in in sex or or power. And the longing for satisfaction never goes away. It always seems that the guy standing in the pasture next to me, the grass under his feet is greener than the grass under my feet, and I wonder. Could it be that the desire for satisfaction has been put there by God, perhaps as an invitation to come to Him, or an invitation to return to Him for true satisfaction, but sin has so depraved the minds of man that we miss it? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity in our hearts. Augustine, in his confessions, he writes, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You see, there is a hole or, or more, there's a, there is a chasm in the heart of man that's waiting to be filled, and we try to fill it with all kinds of the wrong things. I remember right after the fall of communism, we were, in 1992, we were in Russia shortly after the fall of communism, and everything that had, they had believed, or everything they had been indoctrinated in, everything that life was built on in the communist system had been ripped out from under them, and everything was rushing in, and, and people were looking for anything that was true or anything that could fill that hole that was now there they had that they had depended on for all those years. And you might be sitting here today and everything looks great on the outside. you know we're good at that, we know how to dress, we know the words to talk to, to say, and we know we know the, the right look. and you may be sitting here today and on the outside everything looks fine, but on the inside, you, you just feel like you're a mess that You're trying to fill a void, a a longing in ways that do not include Christ. And when we do that, what do we do? We we reveal the, the idols in our lives, the things that have replaced Christ in all the ways that we try to satisfy that longing. And we come and we finally say, I can't get no satisfaction. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 says for my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and hewed out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. I read that and when I was a kid I thought it didn't make any I didn't know what a cistern was. Uh, a cistern is simply a man-made reservoir in the ground, uh, dug into the rock, perhaps something that, that holds water that can be covered and, and holds water in a very arid climate like you find in the Middle East. And the Israelites understood that. We, when we had a chance to visit Israel, we had a guide and she was a former army, an um, Israeli army, and, and she just told us that um, in Israel there's a saying that water is life. Uh, because there's so, uh, there are so few sources of water. Basically, one river that runs down the middle and a lot of salt water surrounding on other sides. Water is life. And so a cistern was, was important. And Jeremiah says, you know, a broken cistern or, or a cracked cistern, he's, he's saying that cistern is useless. It's like uh, eating soup out of a slot in spoon. You don't get a hole out lot, lot of, when you try to do that. You see, we don't quench our thirst from a broken cistern. Jeremiah points out the foolishness of looking to the broken cisterns of, of money, of careers, of drugs, of alcohol, of sex, of, of power, or or whatever else it is. Those are broken cisterns that do not satisfy. We never truly quench our thirst or satisfy our hunger when we look to those things for our satisfaction. C.S. Lewis put it this way, that if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And so we come today to the fourth beatitude in Matthew chapter 5. simply says, blessed are the meek, or or chapter or verse 6 blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied they shall be satisfied in other words those desperate for righteousness are blessed because they find satisfaction you may have come this morning singing that song uh, maybe you weren't singing that song, but it was part of, uh, of where you were of, I can get no satisfaction, but I hope by the end of uh, our time together today, we're all singing that psalm that, G- that Jerry uh, read for us so well, as a, deer, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. That song, that song goes on and says, I want you more than gold or silver, only you can satisfy. So as we look at um, this beatitude this morning, we're going to look at three things, really. The, the pursuit of righteousness, we're going to look at the righteousness of the pursuit, and then we're going to look at the result of the pursuit pursuit of righteousness. So we begin this morning with the pursuit of righteousness. What does it mean? What does it mean when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst? What does it mean to hunger and thirst? We, well, we think we, we know that, but actually it's a little harder for us to understand that than we really think. He's not talking about uh, missing lunch or being a half an hour late for a meal. You know, when my mom was was uh, still with us, we would go to her house every Tuesday night, we called it Supper Club. And she was, you know, five o'clock, you eat at five o'clock. And so if somebody was not there at five o'clock, we would all uh, get, sit around the table and we'd wait for them and they'd come in the door like 5.05 and we would say, let's eat now, we're starving. Well, we weren't actually starving. These words indicate really a much stronger uh, desire, a deep need. Knowing what you don't have and going after it, that, that you are empty and you are in need to be filled. It, it gives the, the connotation of a desperate search because famine and drought were very common at that time in Israel. Uh, we, see, we see famine and drought uh, Throughout uh, scripture, as a matter of fact, during the time of, of Abraham, we, we find drought. And during the time of Isaac, we find drought. And you remember Joseph. Joseph was made really the, the prime minister of, of Egypt. And he led them through a drought. In Judges, um, we find drought. Um, Ruth, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. States that very clearly. It says, "In the days of the judge, that the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. Why did they sojourn? Because they needed. There was a famine. They needed. They were in desperate search of things that they would need." We go on and we see that um, in the time of Elijah, there were, there were famines. In the time of Elisha, there were famines. In the time of Haggai, Nehemiah, there were famines throughout. So these, these folks understood what it means to, to be hungry and to thirst. Because in famines, what happens? People starve. In famines, people die. And in Scripture, we are told that in, in times of famine, that there were people who, who ate such things as wild vines, and heads of animals, and garbage, and dung, and even human flesh. 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 4, we read in verse 39 uh, some about that. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 39, I'll start in 38, it says, And Elijah came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set a large pot, a boiled stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and, and found a wild vine and gathered, gathered from it his lap, in his lap full of wild gourds. And came and cut them into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. And they poured out some, of the, some to the men to eat. But while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, Oh, man of God, there is death in this pot. And they could not eat it. Now I would not recommend that to a husband who's trying a new um, dish from your wife, that there's death in this pot. Maybe, you know, this could use a little extra salt or something like that might be better. But it wasn't just because it didn't taste good. It, this was poison. This was this could kill them. A couple of chapters over in Second Kings, chapter six, verse twenty-four says: After Ben Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up to besiege Syria, and there was a great famine in Samaria, and they besieged it until until a donkey's head was sold for eighty shekels of silver. Why to eat? And four part, a fourth part of the cob of doves' dung for five shekels of silver. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by in the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, "Help, my lord, O king!" And he said, "If the Lord will not help me, how shall I help you?" And from the threshing floor, from or from the wine press, and the king asked her, "What's your trouble?" And she said, "This woman said to me, give, me, give your son, that we may eat him.'" today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. That is desperation. That is hunger and thirst. And you know, that's still true in parts of the world today. Thank, thank God that it's less true today because of technology, but in parts of India and Africa, you still find that kind of desperation. And Jesus is using that as a, as a metaphor, a symbol for for spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst in the heart of someone who is empty of that. You know, if you look at the Beatitudes, if you look at the chain we talked about in the first three Beatitudes, um, those help us to understand this fourth Beatitude of hungering and thirsting. In the first Beatitude, in in verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In, in verse, verse 10, the, the, eighth, um, the eighth beatitude, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about life in the kingdom here. And he talks about in the in the first three beatitudes, he talks about our bankruptcy, and he he talks about our brokenness, and he talks about us being bent toward God in meekness because we understand our bankruptcy. And he comes to the fourth beatitude, and it's an attitude of or a beatitude that that agrees with these that there is an emptiness, that there blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that that we don't have that righteousness in us. Beatitude 4 and 8 talk about that righteousness. Beatitude 4 says that we hunger for it. Beatitude 8 in verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for it. You see, in the first four uh, Beatitudes, there's an emptiness. Things we don't have. But in verses, in Beatitudes 5 through 8, there is, a, there is a fullness. And when he comes to the end of the Beatitudes, he's talking about you are blessed because you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Somehow, we now have this righteousness and we are full of it. So there's bankruptcy and there's brokenness and there's bentness that should naturally leave us with a desire to be filled A desire for righteousness, to do the things that God has created us to do. If he's made us to be kingdom citizens, there's a natural desperation to want to do that. And to want to do that, we need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. So the question comes, what do you hunger for? What do we thirst for? And Jesus says the answer to that question will tell us if we are kingdom citizens or not. Will tell us if we are in the kingdom or not. So the questions come, what do we What are we dream about? What are, our, what are our dreams? Or what are our plans? What are we planning for? What are we thinking about? What do you spend... The most of your time, the the mental processes of your mind. What is the most time spent on in your mental processes? Because that will tell us what we are hungering and thirsting for. John wrote in in First um, John, First John chapter two, verse fifteen. He says, "Do not love." the world, or the things of the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God He could have said, whoever is righteous, whoever does the will of God, abides forever. So when we pursue things, or we pursue power, we pursue uh, pleasure, we end up singing that song, I Just Can't Get No Satisfaction. It is better to sing Psalm 42.1. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. So what are you pursuing? What are you longing for? What do you want in life? What is the, what is the central drive in your life? What will be written on your tombstone? Nothing better than, this was a righteous man or this was a righteous woman. Look at the things that surround us, the, the things that characterize us. What do, what do people say uh, about us? What are they? Jesus says, There is something that we are to hunger and thirst for that will bring true, lasting, eternal satisfaction. What is it? The righteousness that is to be pursued. What is that righteousness? Well, I think a simple definition is this. To live and behave according to a standard of what is good and right toward the other. I found, I read that this week, that's it. To live and behave according to a standard, God's standard, of what is good and right toward others. So a righteous person is someone who innately does good and right out of the purity of their heart and care for someone else. That is a righteous person. Noah was called a, a righteous person in, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 says this, these are the generations of Noah. Just given the generations of Noah, it says, Noah was a righteous man. And he goes on to explain that blameless in his generation, Noah walked with God. We would say Noah was a man of integrity. Noah lived an integrous life. He obeyed God. He was known as blameless In his generation, he was a righteous man. We read in a number of places words that describe righteousness. And in Proverbs 20, verse 9, it talks about he is a man with a clean uh, conscience. He has a a pure heart. Psalm 18. uh, Psalm 18 talks about a righteous man. And in verse 24 of Psalm 18. Psalmist writes these words, starting in verse 22. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. And then he, he defines that he says, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight according to my innocence, according to my blamelessness, according to um, the fact that, that I do what is right, and I do that because it's in my heart, because God has convicted me that this is how I should live. Jesus is not talking about, in, in Matthew 5, I believe, is not talking about the imputed righteousness that, that we have from Christ. I believe that is, in, that is part of what Jesus is saying when we are poor in spirit and when we mourn and, and we repent and, and we know that the righteousness of Christ covers our sins and we need that for salvation. But I think in the context of Matthew 5 that Matthew is not talking about that righteousness. He's not talking about being covered with the righteousness of Christ which is needed for salvation. That term was mostly introduced by Paul, and the sermon by Jesus came before Paul. I think what Jesus is talking about is living in the kingdom, that these are characteristics of people who are living in the kingdom. And if people don't have these characteristics in their lives, Jesus says, you're not in. You're not in the kingdom. Jesus is establishing the kingdom. He, has, he is returning righteousness that was lost at the fall. Just think of the whole uh, story of Scripture. The righteous God came and created a righteous world, but man sinned. And so God had a plan, and his plan was to choose Israel, a nation that was undeserving And their job was to be the light of righteousness in the world and to bring the world to to Christ, to God. And we saw glimmers of that throughout their history, but they failed. They failed that. And so God's plan continues to reestablish righteousness. And Jerry read these verses for us this morning and in the the call to worship in Isaiah chapter 9. It's the season that we we celebrate. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there is no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom... To establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. You see, Jesus has come to reestablish righteousness, and that's why we come when we come to uh, Matthew and we read the Beatitudes and we even read before the Beatitudes in in chapter three, verse thirteen. Jesus coming to the Jordan Jordan to be baptized by John, and John says. I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. And Jesus answered him and he said, Let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. He did it to fulfill righteousness. He, he didn't say uh, to fulfill um, the great commission or to fulfill the plan of salvation or, or to uh, fulfill um, the hope of eternal life. He says to fulfill all righteousness because he is the solution to establishing and reestablishing righteousness with God and righteousness with the world. You see, righteousness is about obedience. Righteousness, the righteous person prays, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Righteousness is longing for the kingdom. It's seeking to do God's will, to establish the kingdom. If you just look at the rest of the Beatitudes, it it really, it really defines righteousness for us. And verses or or Beatitudes one through four, they are beatitudes of of what we have said is is emptiness. Beatitude five through eight, those are beatitudes of of abundance. You see, righteous people, what does it say next? Righteous people are merciful. Righteous people are pure in heart. Righteous people are peacemakers. Righteous people do those things. And then it says, the last beatitude, because of um, blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? For righteousness' sake. For righteous' sake. We are persecuted for righteous sake. We don't have it until Beatitude 4. We're empty of it. And then we live a a righteous life and we're persecuted for it. And he says you are blessed because of this. Righteousness is food and water for the soul. And we long for it because we're empty of it. And we're persecuted because we're full of it. He doesn't say hunger and thirst even for God. Why? Well, I think the same reason when we read the fruit of the Spirit and it, it says the, the greatest command is to love your neighbor as yourself, he leaves out love, love God and love your neighbor. It's because he's not talking simply about a vertical relationship between me and God. To be righteous it's not, doesn't mean I go on a spiritual retreat and, and I have this kumbaya moment with God, and now I am a spiritual person, or it's not a monk who goes into the monastery and he's alone with God. Righteousness is shown in relationships. It's not about going to church. It's about seeking righteousness in the most difficult areas of my life. It's about seeking righteousness. It's about seeking right relationships in my family. It's about righteousness in my job. It's about righteousness in all of my world relationships. It's not going to church. It's wanting to to live like Jesus in all of my relationships and have righteousness in every area of my life. He says in verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Read that and, well, first of all, we don't really understand it, but it sounds pretty scary. If it doesn't exceed the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees, they sometimes, we sometimes really lay it on them, and, and they did deserve it. Jesus lays it on them in Matthew chapter 23 with a lot of woe statements. But I think that there were Pharisees. they desired to do what was right, but they became religious. They chose some practices that they felt comfortable with. And Jesus accuses them of not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. In Matthew chapter 23. Verse 23 says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, all these small things, and have neglected the weightier matters, matters of the law. What are those matters? Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He says, you should have done those things as well as the things that you do. But you didn't do them because you didn't hunger and thirst after righteousness. What did they do? They followed the, the pattern of being comfortable in their religion, of being comfortable in church, and they ignored the heart of God's covenant, justice and mercy and faithfulness, true righteousness. You see, religion is its not a set of rules um, that we feel obligated to do because we have some sort of narcissistic deity that we have to to make happy. Righteousness says that religion is living rightly with and before God, which means living rightly with his creation and living rightly with those whom he has created. So, what is this righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees? Well, he's list, he lists six things here. He says, you know, don't murder. Well, don't be angry. Don't commit adultery. Don't even think about lust. Don't get divorced. Work on righteousness in your home. No swearing. Don't even need to swear an oath. No retaliation. Not only don't retaliate, but do something good in return. Love your friends. No, don't just love your friends, love your enemies. Righteousness is food for the soul. Hunger and thirst. For right relationships, right relationships with God, right relationships with the world, right relationships with others. Because God is a God of righteousness. Remember, Second uh, Peter, when we were there just a, a couple months ago. Second Peter chapter three verse eleven says this: "Since all these things are thus dissolved," and he's talking about the day the Lord will come and the destruction of the of the uh, the earth. What sort of people ought you to live in lives of holiness and godliness, righteousness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt and be burned. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so if we are not... Pursuing righteousness, if we don't have a, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness now, what makes us think we're going to enjoy it in the new heaven and the new earth? Pursue righteousness. What's the result of that pursuit of righteousness? What is the satisfaction? That word, uh, some, have, some translations translate it filled. It's a, it's a word that means uh, filled to the full. And sometimes it talks about cows or sheep who, who overeat, or the sheep, they eat too much clover, their, their bellies bloat, apparently. Barb can tell us about this. And, and, and you, have to, you have to put a hole in their belly uh, to let the air out. It's that kind of, of being really filled. It's like Thanksgiving, watching football after Thanksgiving feast, and you sit in your recliner and you just, you can't eat another bite. You are just very satisfied. You end up not watching the whole game, you end up. Sleeping through part of it, but that's part of the satisfaction. That is the satisfaction because of the pursuit of righteousness. Jesus says, We are blessed, we're blessed because we pursue this righteousness. He doesn't say, um, You will be blessed um, or you are happy because you are pursuing the blessing. He satisfies us because we. We are hungry and thirsting, pursuing righteousness, not happiness, not, not wealth, not uh, health, not anything else, but we're pursuing righteousness. And we're satisfied because we're, we're not content where we are in our righteousness. We hunger for it. And the one who pursues happiness or, or the, in order to be happy person is usually very unhappy that person is usually miserable you see Jesus doesn't exist to give us that kind of happiness he doesn't exist to solve every problem in our life problem of sickness or or financial problems or or problems of of marital issues see God is not here to solve all of our issues But he wants us to be righteous. He wants us to seek his kingdom without exception. Even if the sickness doesn't go away. Even if the marriage doesn't last. Even if we're always in financial difficulty. Seek me first. Seek my righteousness. Because satisfaction, this kind of satisfaction, is found in the struggle of living like Jesus in a fallen world. In our relationships, in our lives, in our marriages, our children, at work, at school, that is what satisfies. And that is what Christ gives to those who seek righteousness. The question comes, do we know that satisfaction in our life? Psalm 107.9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Psalm 34, 10 says, those who seek the Lord shall not lack anything. And what did the psalmist say? What did David say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And later he says, my cup runs over. Jeremiah 31, 14, Jeremiah says, writes this, my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord, you will be blessed. And we'll be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And when we seek righteousness, we'll be able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that he he asks that we do. Or we ask for him to do. You'll have all the fullness of Christ dwelling in you. All the riches and treasures of the Godhead in Christ. What does it mean to be satisfied? It means you're satisfied in Christ. How do you get back to that point of hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Well, you start a new diet. A diet of righteousness. There are four possibilities to, uh, four possible responses at least. To what Jesus is saying, what Matthew has written. You may be one who says, Thank you, Jesus, for the desire that you planted in my heart for right relationships. Thank you that you have showed me my bankruptcy, bankruptcy in spirit, and you have shown me my brokenness, and you have, you have caused me to repent, and you've caused me to be meek and to bend before you and want to do your will. And may I never be satisfied with where I am in righteousness. You know, we're always satisfied with the righteousness of Christ that covers us. But we should never be satisfied with where we are in our righteousness, in our sanctification. You may be one here whose faith is is weak. Maybe it's so weak that perhaps you're starting to doubt your salvation. We talked about that this morning in the Bible study hour. We, We have all been at that point... I would hope that you would read this beatitude and be encouraged that if you genuinely hunger and thirst for, Christ, for righteousness, Christ himself says you are, you are blessed, you are favored and approved by God, that if you sincerely pray that your faith will increase, that is evidence of God's favor in your life. Perhaps you simply need need to know how to grow in that faith. And there are pastors and elders and deacons and, and this whole room full of people who would love to help you with that. Perhaps your faith may be so weak that you are doubting your salvation, but it's because you're trapped in serious sin. It's because you feel like, I, I'm... I'm so trapped in sin that I don't even know if I received the grace of God in my life yet. The question then becomes, what do you want? What is it that you really want? Because this beatitude says, Blessed are not those who are full of righteousness, but those who hunger and thirst after it. Those who mourn over their sins. Those are accepted by God in Christ. And so the question becomes, is that what you want? Do you want to know that mourning and brokenness? And do you hunger for righteousness? You may be someone who's so far from God that, that you feel like you're an apostate. You feel like there's no hope and the only thing waiting for you is hell. And you have no peace. You have no evidence in your life, not even a glimmer, not even a glimmer of hope. I hope you would read this beatitude and these words would bring comfort to your soul. That if you truly understand your brokenness and you truly mourn over your rejection of God and you hate your sin and there's a sincerely desire to repent, then you too are blessed. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So the question becomes really for us, are are we in the kingdom? And life is a path, It's, it's a journey. But can you say with Paul, you know, I'm just not satisfied. Oh, wretched man that I am. I do the things I don't want to do, the things I know I should do. I don't, I am a wretched man. And I hunger and I thirst for that righteousness. You know, the older you get, the more mature uh, a believer becomes. You look at somebody who's been a, a believer for decades. That person, if they are a mature believer, they sin less, but they hate it more. Are you growing in that hatred of your sin? And is your hunger and thirst unconditional? In chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things will be added to you. But that is an unconditional seeking. So the question is, are the things of God precious to you? Do you find you're more content with less because you're content in Christ? Or do you have an... Do you have an appetite for the word? Do you have a hunger? Is there a hunger there? John R. Stott, R. W. Stott, who uh, was a great theologian, wrote this. He says, what is the use of confessing and lamenting our sin, of acknowledging the truth about ourselves before God and other people if we leave it there? Confession of sin must lead to a hunger for righteousness. John Piper says that we settle too quickly for satisfaction. I think what he meant by that was we look for satisfaction in things that don't satisfy, and we think, I'm good. I'm good here. But Jesus is saying, I have a satisfaction that's, that you have never experienced, and it comes by you seeking righteousness, having a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. You know, life is a journey. The Beatitudes, they, I think they tell us who we are. I think they tell us who we're becoming, and I think they tell us who we will one day be. We are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. We will be those who are growing in our righteousness. And one day we will be those who totally know the righteousness that Jesus is talking about. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I hope you know that satisfaction in your life. Pray with me.